Elisa and I were pregnant with our first child. Now, I've always found that statement funny, that we were pregnant, as if I was experiencing the same thing that Elisa was throughout her pregnancy. And we only had a few months until our first child was born, and Elisa had signed us up for a birthing class at Kaiser. And I went, but I was not sure what my role was going to be. I wasn't sure how important I was going to be in the birthing process. I was hoping that Elisa and the team of medical professionals, that they were going to cover that. (laughs) But after an hour of the class explaining what would happen once we arrived at the hospital with the triage room and the birthing room and the monitors and the so on and the so on and the so on, the instructor finally switched gears and turned to the birthing partner. That was me, in case you were wondering. And they told us that what we were going to do was an exercise to understand what it was going to be like for our partners to go through labor, to feel what it's like. Now, you can imagine the look on our faces. How are they going to do this? Now, I wanted an epidural right then. (laughs) But right before I could call for this epidural in my birthing class, the instructor told us that we were going to hold a piece of ice in our hands for one minute to simulate the length of a contraction. Ice. I'm thinking, really? This is what labor's like, holding an ice cube. Of course not. The goal was an imperfect way to simulate what it's like to be a woman going through labor with an ice cube. Now, it's not that the instructor did not have good intentions. She was trying to convey the intensity of the experience. But you see, our challenge is that as humans, there's a solipsistic gap between us, the gap between myself and yourself, which I can never bridge. I can try my hardest with my words and with my analogies to try to get you close to my understanding and to my experience of the world, but that is all that I can do is try. Now, oftentimes, we see something and we don't understand it, and then instead of trying to bridge that gap or get us just a little bit closer, we just dismiss it outright and we stay in our own tiny little bubble. Now, we've reached the final parsha of Exodus, the most transcendent book in the entire Torah, with the story of the tabernacle, where people, they generally look at this parsha. They don't think it makes any sense to them, and they just move on without even trying to understand it. This week, we're in Parshat Pekudeh, where we complete the tabernacle. And the most common reaction that I see to this Torah, this section of the Torah, is that people, they speed through the verses, trying to not have their eyes glaze over from what feels totally insignificant. But you see, this would not be reread year in, and year out for thousands of years if there was not something profound trying to come off the page at us. But when we sit on the sideline and we don't think that we're part of this parsha, that is where we miss out. But first, we need to rewind. And we need to talk about what this Mishkan is. What are they trying to build? And not just physically, but emotionally, what is driving them? The Mishkan is a reaction to their experience at Sinai, the most ecstatic moment 
in all of Judaism. It's so ecstatic and profound, many argue that much of what we try to do from that moment going forward is to create a system for us to contain what occurred at Sinai. But I think there's a much greater lesson going on here. Because if the Mishkan is a play between not just the Israelites trying to recreate a moment, and us as the progenitors who now look back at those words describing the Mishkan and describing something that most do not relate to and therefore dismiss. But when this happens, we're missing how this parsha is screaming at us. One needs to examine what happened at Sinai to fully appreciate the lesson the text is prodding us toward. So what happened at Sinai? It seems like a simple question, but it's not because it's relative to where you were when Sinai happened. Let me explain. In 1916, Albert Einstein published his book, Relativity, the Special and the General Theory, and then in English in 1920. And Einstein writes in the beginning of his book about standing on a train platform to explain relativity. And he says, if you're on the train, and the train's going, let's say, 45 miles per hour, and you have a ball in your hand, and I reach, I lean over to the other side of the train, and I drop the ball. The train, according to me, on the train, the ball flies backwards. But if I'm standing on the platform that the train is going past, the ball flies forward. And if I'm the ball, I drop straight down. So which one is right? All of them. It's totally subjective. When looking at Sinai, it's not a simple question about what happens because it's relative to where you stand. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel points out that the Torah says, quote, the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. That's in Exodus 19.20. No sentence in the world has ever said more, according to Heschel. God who is beyond, hidden, and exalted above space and time was humbly here for all the Israelites to sense. But then... The Bible also speaks in another way. In Exodus 20, 22, I have talked to you from heaven. So which is it? Did God come down upon Mount Sinai, or were there just words that came down? According to the Israelites, God came down, and they saw God in a pillar of fire and smoke. Moses went into the smoke and then was face to face with God. And then according to God... It's only God's words that came down. Each experience that occurs is a true one. There is no way for the Israelites to comprehend what Moses experienced and vice versa. But both are having authentic experiences. Now, one could argue that what our text is trying to teach us is subjectivity, that all is relative to where you are standing. The Israelites should not tell Moses he's wrong, and Moses should not tell God that God was there, not there only in words. You could argue that it's teaching us that we should not argue and scream at the person on the train that they're insane, because of course the ball went forward. It never went backwards. We saw it. Now, that'd be a beautiful lesson. But it does not address the fundamental challenge of how we react to this week's parsha which is a total dismissal and a lack of asking questions. How we respond or don't respond to our character's experience within the text 
Since we were not at Sinai, we quickly have a hard time relating to something as distant as a Mishkan. But this is our fundamental challenge as humans living in 2019. When we don't understand something, we are no longer making the effort of holding a piece of ice in our hands. As imperfect as that may be, in an effort to comprehend another reality. When we react online to things we see with outrage or sometimes just with apathy. Have we taken the time to think about what happened in the pre-story before the snippet of what the experience we see online? When the Jewish community reacts to being told that saying we have dual loyalties and that we control a country with our Benjamins, one cannot understand our reaction without looking at our pre-story or their pre-story to what led them to make such comments. And so I wonder, if Piku Day intentionally lulls us into a place of disinterest in regards to a moment of our Jewish narrative that is of the utmost importance, for the purpose of making us question and rethink something seemingly so foreign to us. Our challenge is to scrape off the adrenal fatigue we've experienced from living in a 24-hour news cycle for years now. We need to push ourselves past our slumber of living within our own bubbles to remember each moment and each action of another was preceded by a story sometimes so unbelievably profound, we will never be able to understand. But that should not prevent us from trying to bridge that gap, from trying to find a piece of ice to grasp onto as that water drips through our fingers and we get a sense. But we know in every single bone of our body and that we should be deeply aware, interested, even if we can never fully understand. Shabbat Shalom.